The following program is presented by the Far East Broadcasting Company because stories of people living out the gospel with their lives inspire all of us. FEBC, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. Learn more at febc.org. It's funny, you can see God's will, you can see God's direction looking in the rearview mirror. I could never have planned a life like He had for me. I'm just thankful that when the opportunities came up and, and He told me to take a step by faith, I did it. And we'll talk with Dr. Charlie Dyer about those steps of faith in his life journey, which keep taking him back to Israel. It's coming up now on First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Welcome to this week's interview. Before we meet our guest, a word of thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making First Person possible on your station. FEBC is a gospel-centered ministry reaching deep into hard-to-reach countries with the good news of Jesus Christ. Through radio and internet programs, FEBC touches tens of millions of lives each day. Learn more by visiting febc.org and seeing the stories of changed lives. Visit febc.org. Well, let's meet Dr. Charlie Dyer. Well known as an educator and author, Dr. Dyer has focused much of his writing and speaking on issues of Bible prophecy and has led dozens of tours to Israel. But it's always fascinating to me to learn how God has called and prepared people for ministry we're going to learn those details from our guest as we begin. I'm just a good old boy from Pennsylvania uh, who's, who's loved the Lord for about 50 years now and who's watched God do uh, incredible things uh, as, as uh, he lets me serve him. Uh, but uh, really, I, I say nothing special. It's just amazing what God, if, if we're faithful to God, what God will do. Hmm. Well, where does the story start for you? You said Pennsylvania. Uh, it starts in northeastern Pennsylvania. I said I'm so far back in the woods that... Uh, where I was, English was the second language, uh, <laughs> at least as it's properly spoken. And uh, uh, But I, I, I came to the Lord uh, through a pastor who uh, came to our church and just loved people to Christ. Uh, went to a, a small Bible college outside Washington, D.C. I uh, had no idea ex- uh, after coming to Christ about anything except I, I love teaching and I wanted to teach. And step by step, God led me from there to Dallas Seminary. I thought I was going there for four years and ended up spending in two terms 21 years down there. <laughs> and then he led me up to Moody for 10 years and uh, through it all developed a, a real love in my life for Israel and taking people to Israel. And uh, that's what led to uh, stepping away from academic administration and, and uh, doing a land in a book radio program for 10 years. And then he led me into a, a church situation, uh, which I'm doing in addition to the radio program down in the Phoenix area. And uh, now he's going to be leading me back into doing more trips to Israel. I come into that final turn in life, and I decided, what is it I can do that no one else can do, or, or I can do better than most? And it was uh, the radio program, writing, and leading people to Israel. And so that's what I'm going to be focusing on now in the days ahead. Well, one thing that I've noticed about you, Charlie, is that when you leave one place, you never really leave that place. You're still associated with Dallas and with Moody and probably every other step along the way. Yeah, I, you know, I am. I, I, I've, I found, and, and, and God just moves, uh, but there, there are great people everywhere I've been, and uh, I don't like to close doors. I, you know, I like opening doors, hmm. uh, but uh, keeping those other doors still open uh, just gives me access back to, to friends and to experiences that really were meaningful and helped shape my life. Hmm. Well, let me take you back again to your roots, though. Was it a Christian home you grew up in? How, how did you come to Christ in the first place? Yeah, it was a nice moral home. Uh, my my mom may have been a believer. My dad wasn't. 
Uh, he was a product of World War II and you know that, that greatest generation. Uh, so they taught me the value of hard work and honesty. Uh, Mom took us to church, and it was a, uh, a small church. In fact, four churches in a charge. And uh, our church had maybe 60 on the rolls, 30 in attendance, and probably three who were really believers in Jesus. Uh, but we got a pastor who came in to do all four of those churches, and truly unique. He just uh, uh, loved people and uh, wanted to share the, the good news about Jesus with them. Well, I was in high school. We didn't like him at first because he wanted our Bible, our, our youth group, which was a social group, to be a Bible study group. Hmm. And uh, but then he, he got us. He said, "Well, how would you all like to go to the the beach and go down to Ocean City?" Well, you know, going to the ocean sounded great. He didn't tell us he was taking us to a Youth for Christ convention, <laughs> and uh, it was 1969 uh, at the Youth for Christ convention uh, that I, I heard the testimony of uh, Dave Boyer, an old uh, oh yeah uh, singer, and uh, yeah, I used to play his records his all the time. God spoke yeah. through him to me and said, "That's your goal in life is just what his goal had been. Uh, you need to." Uh, to change your ways. And, and uh, I, I accepted Christ in June of 1969. And uh, from that point on, I, I knew it uh, up till then I wanted to be in uh, uh, engineering. Hmm. Uh, but I came home and told my dad, uh, I, I've, I've accepted the Lord and I want to go to, into ministry. And dad's response was, well, you'll never make any money doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, which was probably true, but uh, it, it uh, began the, the change in my life. And about uh, 10 years later, led to my dad coming to the to faith as well. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. That's a great ending to that story. Yeah, a lot of times, young people, when they're the first in their home to accept Christ, it's it's difficult for the parents to understand what's going on. Uh, it really is. And, and uh, you know, the key is when you first come to Christ, you want everybody to find what you found, and sometimes that can create, create tension there. Uh, what I found, and it was just nice, uh, I, I just tried to live out my life, and Dad uh, watched God working in my life, watched God supplying needs to go to college, watched our church grow. And at some point, he, he just came to the decision, it, it is true, it must be true, and I'm going to accept it. And he came to faith, ended up becoming one of the elders in that church. Huh. Wow. Yeah, sometimes when the young person in a family is, you know, a first-generation believer, it's hard for the parents to understand what's going on. It is. And uh, so much, and it was in my case, that uh, you, know, you, want, you want the parent to experience what you've experienced. Uh, thankfully, what my pastor helped me see was, uh, just live out my life and let God speak through me to the to my parents because uh, that would be the best way for them to hear. And thankfully, that worked with my dad. He he watched what God did. He watched how God met my needs, uh, took me through college, uh, met the needs of our church. And he got to the spot about 10 years later, and he said, this has to be true, and I need to accept it. And in his 40s, he came to faith. That's a wonderful story. Were there other people in your early life that came along to encourage you spiritually? Uh, every every spot in my life has someone like that. It was that pastor, certainly in high school, and he stayed at that church for thirty some years, and really was just a an encourager. Even as I continued on uh, in in high school, I also had a best friend who came to uh, faith the same night I did, and we ended up going through college together. Uh, we encouraged each other. When I went to seminary, uh, God just seemed to bring along the right people. In fact, one of my best friends. From seminary days, we still keep in touch, and we've done uh, three Israel trips together. Uh, and then God brought along uh, mentors, like, you know, the Howard Hendrickses uh, and others, who just uh, uh, taught me things in my life that, uh, by example, and and sometimes by precept, but but often just watching their lives that helped me grow. Uh, and uh, all through life, wherever I've been, God seems to bring along at least one person who just has that uh, uh, friendship. We 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 meld on a 
on a unique level, and uh, I hope that I'm spiritually encouraging to them, but they certainly are to me. Hmm. Tell me about your family life. Well, uh, I graduated from high school, went to college first semester. I met uh, this uh, young lady, Kathy Wills. We dated four years, graduated in May from college, got married in June, packed everything we owned in a four-by-six U-Haul and moved to Texas. And so God threw us together uh, in, a, in a unique way. I don't know if I'd ever recommend people doing what we did, but we were down to you know a few dollars in our savings account and uh, living on uh, you know, the peanut butter and jelly days. <laughs> Uh, but they were great days to uh, to learn how to how to live as a husband and wife and how to follow God together. And then God brought two kids into our our lives. We have a a son who just turned forty. It's making me feel older, <laughs> and a daughter, thirty seven. And she caught my wanderlust, so she and her husband live over in London right now. Oh, okay. Well, when you graduated from seminary, then did you go into church ministry or academics? What what happened there, Charlie? Yeah, I, I had no idea where God wanted me to go. I just knew I wanted to teach. So I'm finishing up my seminary degree, and uh, I, I started writing. I wrote to the college I'd gone to and wrote to the dean and said, hey, do you, would you ever need a teacher with a master's degree? I'll be having it in a year. Uh, I told my wife, we, we said, we're going to pray. Let's just pray and say, Lord, show us what you want us to do. But I knew I wanted to leave Dallas and, and teach somewhere. Well, the first week uh, that we started praying, uh, we won a house. And, uh, Wait a minute, excuse me? <laughs> yes. It, 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 Jimmy Carter was the president. They had the Urban Homesteaders Program. We were so poor that we would go out and, and see these houses they were offering, and and uh, we won the nicest house they ever gave away in Dallas. It cost $500 to fix it up, but if we took it, we had to live in it for three years. Uh, the next week, uh, we were still praying, Lord, show us what you want us to do, and I was working part-time in the registrar's office, and he came and said, well, would you do your last year in two and work full-time. Well, that's not what I wanted to do, staying in Dallas, but I said I'd think about it. Uh, the next week, we're still praying. Uh, I get a letter back from the academic dean at the college, and he said, look, you're in Dallas. You really need a doctorate to teach. Why don't you consider staying in Dallas and doing your doctorate? And so I, I ended up with a house, a full-time job, and and godly advice, and we said, hmm, that might be God's will for our lives. And, uh, and so I stayed at Dallas, you know, thinking I was going to do some more studies before I went somewhere to teach. Uh, during that program, they came to me and said, well, would you be willing to teach at Dallas? And so I, I say I backed my way into the teaching career at Dallas Seminary and uh, did it mainly by looking at houses and and uh, signing up for this urban homesteading program. <laughs> do you remember the first class you ever taught? I do. It was the uh, Old Testament prophets. Uh, in fact, it still remains my favorite class. Uh, and, uh, I'm teaching at our church, and I'm teaching Isaiah. Uh, my go-to place is the Old Testament. I say the the gold binding is still on most people's Bibles there, <laughs> so it's fertile territory for me. Yeah. Do you have contact with any of the people who may have been in that first class? Uh, I, actually, I did. I had had every so often. I'll have one of them write me back, or I, I've uh, one of them. I've I've been on a trip to Israel with, and he reminded me of the uh, uh, that that young professor that he had, who wasn't much older than he was. Uh, but I I had. Just a great time. Again, God blessed me with good classes and good bunch of people uh, who uh, could overlook my, my shortcomings and faults, at least especially in those early classes. We're meeting Dr. Charlie Dyer on this edition of First Person. There's more information at firstpersoninterview.com. I decided to escape North Korea after listening to FEBC's broadcast. I was able to keep my faith 
affirmed by listening to your programs. Just one of millions of grateful people who listens to the Far East Broadcasting Company in her own language. FEBC is dedicated to taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. To learn more, please visit febc.org. That's febc.org. The Far East Broadcasting Company, until all have heard. My guest is Dr. Charles Dyer. Charlie is a, an academic. He's, a, I mean, how many books have you written on Bible prophecy, Charlie? Yeah, I, I've never counted. Uh, it's it's right? oh, probably on, on prophecy, maybe maybe six or seven, something like that. Yeah, but you've written many, dozens of other books, as a matter of fact. So let me ask you this. You've, you've been such an academic and you've had such great education yourself and been teaching all these years. How does the Bible stay fresh for you? Uh, in fact, I, it's funny. I asked Howard Hendricks that question once and because uh, I was wrestling with that, and he he gave me the answer, and it's it's been absolutely true. Um, my question to him was: you, He taught the same class for forty years, the same assignment for forty years, and the students would raise their hands and give the same answer for forty years. I said, "How do you keep fresh?" He said, "I just remember they're seeing it for the first time, and I, I look at it through their eyes." Mm. And that's that is the secret to teaching. It's a secret to leading people to Israel. You know, I've been a hundred times. I just keep reminding myself, but this is their first time. And I get excited because they're getting excited. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about those trips to Israel. A hundred trips, really? Yeah, a hundred trips. I uh, started back in 1982 uh, as a student uh, in my doctoral program at Dallas. I thought, this is my once-in-a-lifetime experience. And when I went, it, it so changed me that I felt like I should come back and refund every student I'd ever taught up to that point. <laughs> Uh, because I, I, I was teaching the prophets. I came back, taught the prophets, and felt like I'd never even read them before. Because we, we skip, or I certainly skipped, people names and place names because they had no meaning. Suddenly they had this incredible depth of meaning for me, and I could visualize the places. Uh, that it, it transformed what I wanted to do with my life, not just teach, but also take people to Israel so they could experience what I experienced. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's the reaction from most people when you when you take them for their first visit. They they tell you that, don't they? They do. And and there's a few places where they'll see me and I, I say, just I'm going to walk faster up this hill because I want to turn around and see your eyes when you see what I'm going to see for the mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. And it's I call them the oh wow experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, they're huffing up the hill and they go, oh wow. Yeah. Take me one of those places. Uh, my favorite ones. It's called the Wadi Kilt. It's in the Judean wilderness. Uh, you stop. There's a couple uh, peddlers there that, that are going to be running toward us. There's a, often a flock of sheep or goats nearby. Uh, but you're hiking up a hill. It's, oh, it's a not quite a quarter mile walk uphill over rugged ground. And when you just think, where is this nut taking me? You top <laughs> the hill, and there in front of you is the Judean wilderness. Mm. And when people read wilderness, some you know from the Pacific Northwest think of mountains and covered with trees mm-hmm. or the Sahara Desert. There's nothing like the, the Judean wilderness, and they see all these thousands of hills and valleys, rugged uh, uh, hills, the, the ground they're on, and and suddenly you read about uh, Jesus being tempted 40 days in the wilderness, and you go, this is it. Uh, when uh, Isaiah 40 wrote about every valley being exalted and every mountain hill made low, he was writing about what you're looking at, mm-hmm. and it just, uh, it, it blows, it still blows me away every time, hmm. and it does the same thing for people. It's suddenly... 
the Bible becomes a 3D. Yeah. I have a friend who does what you do in Israel, and with the folks with him, he'll he'll encourage them to spread out throughout, uh, you know, an area there in the wilderness and just for an hour or so, just meditate on, mm. on what it was like for, for Jesus to be there those 40 days, 49. It is. And it's amazing how much suddenly the, the complaints we were having about our feet hurting and <laughs> uh, we realized, okay, I'm, I'm a lot like Israel was in the wilderness when they they complained to God. Yeah. And I'm not like Jesus who who withstood the temptations. Yeah. I'm surprised, though, you didn't take us to the Garden of Gethsemane. You didn't take us to the Mount of Olives. You took us to the wilderness. Why? Uh, for me, the wilderness, well, one, it, it hasn't changed. Uh, it's It looks the way it looked when David was there or Abraham or Jesus. But the other reason is, in the Bible, the wilderness was always the place of testing, and it was always the place where God showed that his grace was sufficient. And it really is the metaphor for our lives. I mean, we live our lives... Uh, enjoying the good times, but knowing that there are times of trouble and struggle and trial. And it's in those times we often grow the most spiritually mm-hmm. uh, because it forces us to depend on God. So uh, the wilderness is just that reminder to me mm. of uh, what life is like and what God is like. Mm. Sounds wonderful. You know, the the topic of Bible prophecy sort of comes and goes in the church, and, and at least in my estimate, estimation. Uh, you know, we go through a period of 10 or 15 years where the, every book that comes out is about Bible prophecy. Where are we right now, and what is the what is where we should be uh, studying Bible prophecy? Yeah, it, it's it's funny because it runs to extremes. Uh, I think we're, we're just getting over one of those extreme uh, interests in Bible prophecy. You know, when something happens in the Middle East, uh, something rises up, um, we we uh, see potential, and then uh, then people start writing more books, and uh, they begin making prophecies that go beyond what God said. And then when those things don't happen, there's a reaction that takes people back the other direction, and uh, they walk away from prophecy. And I, I love it being in the middle. I you know so much of the Bible was prophetic when it was written, but prophecy, when it's truly understood, uh, is very practical. It's not designed just to fill our heads or to make us uh, think we know everything and all the details about the future. It's really designed to remind us that there is a God, He is in control, and we need to depend on Him. And when we use prophecy in that way and are willing to say, I understand this part, but boy, this this passage isn't clear yet. It's not God's problem, it's mine. I just don't have enough information. Mm-hmm. And if I'm willing to hold that tension, uh, I find just incredible benefit in prophecy uh, today in the Middle East, uh, I'm watching Russia seem to seeming to be uh, trying to replace the U.S. as the dominant influence in the in the Middle East. Uh, we're watching the uh, what's happening in Turkey and Iran, and certainly you read that and you go, "Wow, Ezekiel 38 and 39; uh, those are countries that are mentioned by name in that prophecy." But there are pieces of Ezekiel that aren't in place yet, and uh, if we recognize that the whole issue could could settle down. What Ezekiel's talking about hasn't happened in 2,700 years, and it might not happen for another 50 or 100 or or 1,000 years. We don't know. Hmm. And if I can hold it in that tension and uh, be willing to say, this is what he says, this I don't understand, uh, but I certainly find it interesting, uh, then I think I'm using prophecy the the correct way. Hmm. You're such a great teacher, and I'm going to put you on the spot here for a moment. Uh, We have just a, a few minutes here. Teach us a lesson. Take a take a, a passage or a verse and just open that up for us and just tell us something about it. Okay, and I'll do it the, the way I would do it in Israel. We're going to walk to the top of Mount Arbel. It's it's a cliff, uh, about a 1,000 foot, 1,200 foot drop. The Sea of Galilee is below you. You can see every 
every town that Jesus ministered in, in that region. And then you ask yourself, why was he here? You know, why did Jesus come to this area? Uh, why not Rome or Jerusalem? You know, Galilee was despised. The Sea of Galilee was a tiny little lake, and even on that lake, he spent most of his time in a little triangle on the very northern tip. And then I go to Isaiah 9, and uh, Isaiah 9 tells me, you know, the people walking in darkness uh, will see a great light, and uh, it talks about the land uh, beyond the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, Jesus spent his time there in large part because God said in Isaiah, that's the area where I'm going to show my light, where it seems to be darkest. And a child's going to be born, a son's going to be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Uh, you, you stand there, you look down, you see this area, and realize God doesn't view significance the way we do. Hmm. Uh, he, God said, that was the most significant spot on earth, because that's where my son was going to reveal his glory and my glory to the world. And then I, I take that away and say, okay, we're going to walk away from here. Uh, what does that mean for us? Uh, what it means is if you're doing what God wants you to do, you might be teaching four- and five-year-olds in a small church, but if that's where God has called you, you could be making the most significant impact for the cause of Christ that you could ever make. Never despise small things, because God doesn't. Hmm. You know, one of the most powerful moments of my life was standing in the Garden of Gethsemane and looking at the Eastern Gate. I'm sure you've mm, done that. Yeah. That's the gate where Christ will enter Jerusalem? Uh, what I would say is it does say that he's going to walk through the uh, Eastern Gate. He's going to, the glory is going to come on the Mount of Olives and come through the Eastern Gate. What I would say is that uh, the passage in Ezekiel where he describes that, it's, it's going to be a different Eastern Gate at the same location. Well, when you spend all this time in Israel, you must have made lots of friends. Yeah, I have. Uh, and, and it's interesting. They, they, they run the gamut from the owner of the, the tour operator that we have down to some of the shopkeepers in the old city. Uh, and uh, in fact, I, on my desk, I have a, a, an olive wood statue of Moses given to me by one of the shopkeepers. Uh, evidently, our group had done a lot of shopping in his store that trip. Uh, but it's a reminder to me because I was trying to build a friendship with him. He was a Muslim, and I was trying to uh, earn the right to share the gospel with him. Unfortunately, he got a brain tumor and died before I had that opportunity. Hmm. And it's a reminder to me that uh, they're great friends, but the real purpose God has us here is to point people to his son and to make sure that I'm taking every opportunity while I have those opportunities. Uh, but uh, from from uh, Murphy, the shopkeeper, uh, to Shmulek, uh, the, the owner of Sorel Tours, uh, they have all been just uh, it had an impact on my life in a number of different ways. That's good to hear. Well, it's a long ways from rural Pennsylvania to the life that you now lead and have led, Charlie. You must be very grateful to God. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's funny. You can see God's will. You can see God's direction looking in the rearview mirror. I could never have planned a life like he had for me. Uh, I'm just thankful that when the opportunities came up and, and he told me to take a step by faith, I did it. And uh, then, then he would show me where that step was going to lead and where that pathway was going to head. Uh, but it's, it's been an amazing journey. I'm, I'm thrilled uh, with what he has done. Yes, it's always an amazing journey when we put our lives into God's hands. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man plans his way, but God directs his steps. My thanks to Dr. Charlie Dyer for his time and telling us his first-person story. We'll put additional information about him at firstpersoninterview.com. Bringing you these weekly interviews is made possible by the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Why? Because the stories of lives changed by Christ are celebrated by all of us, and FEBC wants you to rejoice at the stories of people turning to Christ wherever FEBC's programs are heard. 
Visit the website febc.org for more. You'll find inspiring stories of people in far corners of the world. Once again, go to febc.org and learn how to pray for the ministry of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. 